Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. One of the challenges to the uh, uh, Christian faith is the claim that um, the archaeological evidence for some of the Old Testament is lacking and um, that, for example, the story of the Exodus um, and the associated stories just don't match up with uh, Egyptian history, Egyptian time period, this sort of thing. Now, this is rather surprising because, as I've mentioned before, when we look at um, other aspects of the biblical accounts, such as the mention of Hittites, which were not mentioned in the secular um, archaeological um, records um, until um, they were discovered, you know, in the uh, late 1800s um, or early 1900s by a German archaeologist. Uh, we have the uh, the records of, of um, Belshazzar being... Um, the ruler of Babylon, again, that was lost until recent times that the Bible recorded that, recorded that name. And so many of the um, accounts of, uh, for example, in the Bible of different assassinations or kings, the way they were killed and so forth, that are mentioned in the Bible, uh, when we look at historical records going back about 700 years, they're all accurate. Um, and as I said, the account of the Hittites uh, goes back to Abraham's time. And um, But yet when it comes, for example, to the Exodus, the argument is that it, um, it doesn't line up. And of course, the Exodus is very important. It is the basis of a number of Jewish uh, feast days and holidays um, at that time. Um, the Ten Commandments were given at that time. And also specific altars and, uh, were, were built. Um, there were uh, specific stones were laid in, in, in different parts to commemorate events that, that happened, miracles that, that happened, so that the people didn't forget them. And it's interesting where we can check with uh, you know reasonably modern, accurate, secular historical results, the Bible is confirmed accurately. But when we get to the much older uh, area, particularly involving Egyptian history, um, there seems to be a disconnect. And one of those particularly happens is, and, and I read this in many of the Bible commentaries, that, for example, the Egyptian queen Hapshetsit was the daughter of Pharaoh that rescued Moses. But really, that just doesn't fit because we know so we have so much information about that particular time period that Hapshetsit lived in, but it doesn't fit the description in the Bible. But if we look a little bit further, we can actually find some important clues. So according to regular secular archaeological history, there are major problems in trying to synchronise Egyptian history with the events described in the biblical accounts of the uh, Exodus. And that's why, of course, um, most scholars have concluded that the Bible record is unreliable. And this, of course, gets into our public education. But in actual fact, I think if we look very carefully at what evidence we have, we see that Egyptian history can actually confirm the Bible. 
So, for example, in uh, the Old Testament book of First Kings, it states that in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, he began to build the house of the Lord. Now, most scholars would accept the date of about 970 BC for the beginning of Solomon's reign. So, and again, look up Google. Um, just Google that, and uh, that's the sort of date that you get. Um, and so his fourth year would be 966 BC, and counting back 480 years, that would place the Exodus at about 1445 BC. Now, one of the reasons the scholars uh, reject this date um, is that uh, in Egypt, um, the 18th dynasty was supposed to have reigned from um, 1550 to 320 BC. Um, and this was a very, very powerful uh, dynasty. Um, there were a lot of records. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, it's one of the best recorded dynasties of Egyptian history. And it's interesting, during that um, period of a couple of hundred years, there's no trace of any national disaster such as must have occurred as a result of the ten devastating plagues that fell on the land of Egypt. Um, there's no sign of any military disaster such as befell the Egyptian army when it perished in the wars of the Red Sea. Um, and, of course, it's been argued that the Egyptians only recorded their victories, not their defeats. But the thing is... Um, from the 18th dynasty, we've got so many inscriptions and even uh, papyrus documents that it's possible to um, to really, for archaeologists, to map the movements of the whole dynasty. And there's also no trace of a large Semitic slaves, um, which um, the Israelites had become at that stage. Uh, or of any national disaster that would have resulted, as I said before, from the Ten Plagues. Um, and moreover, all the mummies of the pharaohs of that, er of that era are actually in the Egyptian Museum in Cairo. So, for example, if uh, Thutmose III or Amenhotep uh, II, who um, would, uh, people would argue would be the, the pharaohs of the Exodus, they're... Um, their bodies are, are in the Cairo Museum. They're not in the Red Sea. And, of course, some people argue, well, you know, the Bible doesn't specifically say that the pharaoh drowned, perhaps. Um, um, you know, but, again, it's a likely. But as I said, said we can see that the um, whole uh, picture we have of an amazing disaster and everything is, is not recorded there. And so this really should give, um, you know, and people either clues either if the Bible is correct, then we've got a major problem with dating Egyptian history or else, as most people want to conclude, that, um, yeah, the Bible account is, is, is sort of made up. But I think that's highly unlikely given the number of events that and uh, feasts and so forth that were uh, instituted to remember this particular event. And people would have remembered it. And easily people would have remembered, well, hang on, that didn't happen. Um, and so the, I think the fact that these um, different feasts that are recorded there, that the people had to keep, 
uh, are definitely powerful evidence that the exodus did occur. Um, another um, interesting thing that should throw some red flags on the traditional secular dating is that the main centre of activity for the 18th dynasty was in Luxor, which is a 1,000 kilometres away from the land of Goshen, where most of the exodus action took place. And so it seems wholly unlikely um, with the exodus account to have Moses commuting back and forth from the delta to Luxor uh, to implore Pharaoh to let my people go, um, or even to Memphis, the political capital. So um, also in the land of Canaan at that time, there's a lack of evidence for an invasion by uh, a foreign army. So the date of the invasion would have been 40 years after the Exodus, so that'd be about uh, 1400 BC or 1405, uh, to be more precise. And that falls in the middle of the late Bronze period, um, so, and I've talked about these different um, uh, periods that archaeologists like to slot history into with these names, like bronze and, and so forth. But as I pointed out before, these, so they're, they're very artificial ages and they're very rubbery and they actually overlap enormously in my view. Um, because if we look at the late Bronze period, again, they, the archaeologists find no evidence for the destruction of Jericho and I during this time or the arrival of people with a different culture. And so, um, again, this is one of the reasons why um, the scholars are rejecting the um, Exodus account and the account of the de, uh, destruction of, um, of Jericho and AI. But it's interesting that um, when we look at evidence, uh, there is, while there might not be evidence for the um, destruction of Jericho and the late bronze, there's a lot of evidence for the um, destruction at the end of the early bronze period. And so uh, if we look to change the times, in other words, what if, the, if we consider that the traditional time periods are incorrect as understood by archaeology, so that the end of the early bronze period actually fell around 1405 BC rather than earlier, then the evidence of archaeology and the evidence for the Bible actually line up amazingly. I think chronology is probably the hottest issue in archaeological debates, particularly in this era. And um, I think the evidence is growing that the traditional really long age dates for Egyptian history. And we have a, another problem there too because if we adopt these really long uh, ages, we, we've got the Egyptian history going back actually before the date of the flood as well. But if we bring it forward, you know, 300, 350 years, then a whole lot of things actually lined up. It's interesting, back in 1992, an archaeologist, Peter James, published a book called Centuries of Darkness in other words, uh, in which he claimed that the um, third intermediate um, period of Egypt, that's dynasties 21 to 23, 
were actually contemporary with other dynasties and that the Egyptian dates for the period should be reduced by 250 years. So he um, argued that, yeah, there was at least a a 250-year period that should be shortened there. Uh, It's interesting that the foreword to that book... um, and there was, that book generated a lot of controversy. A lot of people weren't happy with it. But it's interesting that in the foreword, which uh, was by Professor Colin Renfrew from Cambridge University, and um, he wrote in the foreword, this disquieting book draws attention in a penetrating and original way to a crucial period in the world's history and to the very shaky nature of the dating of the whole chronological framework upon which our current interpretations rest. So there we we have it that, that that's the bottom line. The secular dating is very shaky. And this is where I think if we adjust, make these adjustments to Egyptian history to line up with the biblical account, a whole lot of... Um, things work out. It was interesting, another scholar, David Roll, and um, he got his degree in Egyptology and ancient history from the University College in London and uh, was involved in excavations uh, in Syria. Um, He's written a number of papers on the dating problem. And um, in fact, in 1995, he published a book called A Test of Time. Uh, which was abs- uh, subsequently part of a BBC television program. And it's interesting, in this work, Roll also claimed that there'd been a mistake in calculating the the date of those dynasties and that Egyptian chronology needs to be reduced by 350 years. And it's interesting that, you know, James and Roll, they're not trying to defend the Bible, um, they were simply looking to see, okay, what does the actual data tell us? Now, the thing is that this reduction of dates would bring the 12th dynasty down to the time of Joseph and Moses and the Exodus in 1445. And so, the, or, or rather, the Exodus in 1445 would have been in the early 13th dynasty rather than the 18th or 19th dynasty, as is generally believed. So that's quite important. So again, just recapping there, this reduction of 350 years is really significant because it brings the reduction of dates, it would bring the 12th dynasty and the exodus would have, uh, or back to around the 1450 um, BC and... um, the Exodus would have been in the early 13th dynasty rather than the 18th or 19th dynasty. And when we do this, there's remarkable agreement between the histories of Egypt and Israel. And to me, this is really exciting because um, it's interesting that... uh, uh, the Bible records that Joseph was appointed as a vizier in Egypt. And it's interesting that there was a vizier under Sestosaurus I who was in the 12th dynasty there, and his name was Mentutotep. And um, he was um, had a lot of power 
um, in the as recorded in the Bible. Now, it's interesting, the Bible record states that Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he had him ride in the second chariot which he had, um, and they cried before him, bow the knee. So it's interesting that this was recorded of Joseph, um, and it's interesting some of the descriptions of this um, vizier, Mentua tip actually fit uh, the same uh, sort of um, uh, authority as the Bible ascribes. And so uh, it, it fits that there was a, a person who had the authority of Joseph during that time of Sesostris um, uh, the, the first. Now, it's interesting, if we come down to the time of the... Um, the oppression of Israel, um, there would have been a, a time, um, there was a, obviously there was succession of pharaohs, but then the Bible talks about how there was a pharaoh who uh, came to power who had forgotten about Joseph. And um, it's interesting, that seems to uh, fit Sestostris uh, III, and um, it's interesting when we look at the end of um, the Twelfth uh, Dynasty. There's actually a, uh, a Josephus, um, a Jewish historian from the first century, writes about this time, and he wrote, having in length of time forgotten the benefits received from Joseph, particularly the crown being now come into another family, they, the Egyptians, became very abusive to the Israelites and contrived many ways of afflicting them. So it's interesting that Sestostris II had no living sons at the time of his death and was followed by Sestostris III, and from memory, uh, when you see his, um, you know, statues of him, he, he looks a very mean sort of character. And then the last ruler of the 12th dynasty was Queen um, Sabokana Faru, who had no children. I think that this uh, Sabokana Faru fits beautifully the daughter of Pharaoh who came down to wash herself at the river. And so the Bible talks about how the daughter of Pharaoh was down washing in the river. Uh, she saw this little baby floating um, in a basket there and, and took it home uh, to, be, um, uh, to be raised as her son. And um, it's interesting that she would do this um, and, of course, we know there was, at that time, the Israelites were, uh, their population was increasing, so the Pharaoh had ordered that all the baby boys be destroyed. And, of course, that's the history of Moses being rescued. Uh, I think we need to realise that she wouldn't have been down at the river there to get clean. She would have had a sumptuous bathroom in her palace for that. She would have been taking a ceremonial bath, I think, praying to the fertility river god, happy for a baby. And when she saw this beautiful little Hebrew boy floating in a basket, she probably regarded it as an answer to her prayers. Um, it just makes so much sense. How else could we explain an Egyptian princess adopting a slave child and planning to make him the next pharaoh? So, you know, it fits um, quite well. Later, some, uh, um, Sabakana Faru um, assumed the throne. Uh, that was after Aminatep 
the third had died. Um, but when she died, that 12th dynasty ended and we get the 13th dynasty began. Now, it's very interesting that from secular historical records, we learn that Asiatic slaves were used during the 12th dynasty. Uh, it's interesting in the Cambridge Ancient History um, text uh, notes that Asiatic inhabitants of the country at this period must have been many more numerous than has been generally supposed. And uh, even the Encyclopedia Botanica reports that ancient slaves, whether as merchandise or prisoners of war, were plentiful in wealthy Egyptian households during the 12th dynasty. So that fits exactly what, here we have secular records, secular records of historical records, but what they're saying is that the 12th dynasty, which is normally put much older, fits exactly into this particular time of the biblical history. And so um, we also know that during the 12th dynasty, an extensive building uh, program was carried on at the Delta Whereas the temples of the 18th dynasty, and this is where, you know, secular history wants to put the Exodus, they were all being built down at Luxor, uh, a long, long way. And the other thing was, the ones at Luxor were being built out of um, stone. The buildings of uh, in the delta under the 12th dynasty were made of mud brick. And uh, I've even uh, seen some of the mud bricks that have been brought back that had used straw in them. And so during the time of Amenhotep uh, III, um, uh, Sabokhanafaru's uh, father, uh, was, um, uh, they were made of mud brick. And that exactly fits what the Bible account was. And so, um, and it's interesting, uh, Josephus wrote, that the Egyptians became very abusive to the Israelites and contrived many ways of afflicting them and they set them to build the pyramids. Um, if we assume that the uh, oppression took place during the 18th or 19th dynasty as regarded by scholars, um, then that's a glaring blunder by Josephus who was a lot closer to that time period than they are. So, but... Again, if these dynasties um, were the uh, 18th and 19th dynasties were down the valley of Kings at Luxor, then maybe it's the scholars that have blundered. And so we can see there that when we look, the evidence is there that powerfully fits the biblical Exodus account. Uh, building out of mud bricks, um, it, we have a, a reason why Sabokhana Faru uh, would rescue Moses. Um, it, it all just it all just fits at that time, um, the the time uh, period that that fits um, in the in the Bible. There's actually uh, further evidence that corroborates the biblical account. Um, because there's actually evidence of the slaves' sudden departure. See, up to the time of the Pharaoh uh, Kasheshem Memre Nefertitep I, uh, who ruled during the middle of the 13th dynasty, there was evidence of continual occupation of Cahun, and this was the main uh, base uh, town where the Israelites that were building all these buildings were living. 
because then it suddenly stops. And the archaeologists found that um, while Cahun flourished during throughout the 12th dynasty and into the 13th dynasty, there's evidence that the inhabitants deserted very quickly because their tools would be abandoned, other possessions in shops and houses were found in the remains. Um, and uh, while they, you know, people argue about, OK, what caused the people to depart suddenly and leave all these things behind, um, the quantity, range and types of articles for everyday use that were left behind in the houses may suggest that the departure was very sudden and unplanned. And so this is what the, the secular um, you know, archaeologists admit happened. Now, it's interesting that following the demise of the 12th dynasty, there was about 14 kings followed one another in rapid su- succession. Um, earlier ones ruling the delta before the 12th uh, dynasty ended. And then... Um, Kasha Kemre Nefertitop I restored sensibility and ruled for about 11 years. And his was the last scarab to be found in Cahun before the city was deserted. And it seems he was the last king to rule before the, the Hiskos occupied Egypt without battle, according to the ancient Greek historian Menentho. Uh, without battle? Why? Where was the Egyptian army? Well, it would have been at the bottom of the Red Sea. And it's interesting that Nefertitep I's uh, mummy has never been found. And it's probably, he's probably the uh, pharaoh of the Exodus. Uh, his, mummy was, his body was probably at the bottom of the Red Sea. So we can see that when we look at the secular archaeological evidence that we have, and we move the time period so that the exodus took place during the 13th dynasty and not during the 19th dynasty, a whole lot of descriptions fit exactly. And I think also, seeing we have these other secular scholars who say, look, Egyptian history needs to be shortened by 350 years or thereabouts, it all points, the evidence is there that the biblical account can be relied on. The biblical account is true. And, of course, the biblical account is an account of the creator God's interactions with man and the introduction of sin and the introduction of God himself or the coming of God himself as Jesus Christ as our saviour. It's a wonderful plan. It's a wonderful account. It makes so much sense. And it gives us hope that God has also outlined that he has a hope for us um, in the future. After we die, God will remake this world again in a perfect place. You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr John Ashton. If you want to re-listen to these uh, programs again, as remember, you can Google 3ABN um, Australia, or one word, .org.au, and click on the radio button and the, the listen button. Have a great day. You're 
You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.